Welcome to Christ Chapel College, the college outreach of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope everyone experiences what Jesus calls abundant life. So we unapologetically point to Him as the source of life and joy. If you're a college student in the Fort Worth area, we'd be stoked to connect with you. Find out more at ChristChapelCollege.org and on Instagram at ChristChapelCollege. Hey, my name is Zach. Uh, I'm on PAC staff with Christ Chapel. If we haven't met yet, I would love to meet you. And if you don't know what the PAC is, would love to explain what that is also. But I wanted to start this morning by giving you a little bit more uh, of a look at my story. And specifically to do that, I want to give you a few different snapshots of my life. So, I grew up in Minnesota, and for as long as I can remember, I went to church and knew Jesus. I knew the stories of the Bible. I knew about Jesus. And so, in Sunday school or at youth group, I would raise my hand, and because I had a good memory, uh, I would know the right answer, and I would get called on and be rewarded for that. And that just built in me a system, a way of understanding Christianity as the Christian life is about knowing the right answers. Fast forward a little bit. I, actually a lot of it, actually. I have now graduated high school, and I'm off to Lafayette, Indiana, middle of nowhere, but it's where Purdue University is, and that's where I did my freshman year. And Purdue, that freshman year for me was really unique because I didn't really know that many people. There was no one from my high school and my parents weren't there. And so I could just really do whatever I wanted. And so what started to happen was I started to compartmentalize my faith. And what I mean by that is I was a Christian at Christian events and at church when I showed up to church. But outside of that, I really just did whatever I wanted to I'm not really sure what I would have said if you had asked me at that time, what do you think it means to be, what do you think the Christian life is about? But I think I would have said something about checking the boxes and making sure that I do enough for God. The last snapshot I want to give is, fast forward again, senior year of college. I had transferred from Purdue to TCU. Um, after my freshman year. And so sophomore year, I was here all the way through graduating. And at TCU, I saw Christians who were living as Christians, not just on Sundays, but throughout the whole week. And I had started to model that, but I don't think I fully understood why. Some things had happened the summer before my senior year of college, and um, they led me to think, man, maybe I want to be a pastor. And so I reached out to Ben. Ben put me in touch with this guy who works at Christ Chapel named Ryan McCarthy. And so reach out to Ryan. We go grab lunch. We're actually sitting at Fuzzy's right around the corner. And I tell Ryan, man, these things happened over the summer. And I think I want to be a pastor. And he was like, okay, well, tell me a little bit more about yourself. And at the end of it, he's like, well, you could you could be a pastor. And he very graciously went on to tell me that I was overly critical and judgmental. Not, not super good for someone up here, (laughs) but, uh, that sometimes you just need to hear that. And so I left that lunch 
with an understanding of my sin and God and how Jesus ties to that, I left that lunch understanding more about that than I think at a heart level than I think I ever had. I wanted to open with those snapshots of my life because I think that's something that I'll always wrestle with. What does it what is the Christian life about? And we do this with other things we associate with too, right? What does it mean to be a SIGEP or a PIFI? What does it mean to be a Neely student? How much more important of a question is it to ask what does it what is the Christian life about? Because I think the answer will shape our eternity. We're going to be in Galatians 5 this morning, uh, 2 through 15. The Hopefully those this passage will give us more of an answer. What is this Christian life about? The passage breaks cleanly into three sections, and so we'll spend some time in each section, and we'll pull an observation from each, and we'll end on some application, maybe some encouragements if you want to call it that. But we're going to start in verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, We ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Okay, first, I think we should unpack what Paul means when he's talking about circumcision and the uncircumcised. Uh, And this partially has to do with Nathan's sermon last week. Paul writes his letter to the Galatians because of false brothers uh, who were trying to pull the Galatians away from the gospel. Paul writes this letter to the church in Galatia, and you might be wondering, why are these false brothers trying to convince the Galatians they need to be circumcised? It's a good question. It has to do with the Old Testament law. So, when you hear circumcision, think under the law. And when you hear uncircumcision or the uncircumcised, think not under the law. But back to the law itself. In the Old Testament, God's chosen people were the Israelites. And God gave the Israelites the law so that they could see God's standard for them and how they fell short in so many ways. The law itself contains around 600 commands. And it's generally broken into three different categories. Main category or category one, I should say, is moral laws. And those are things that you might think of like the Ten Commandments. Don't steal, don't murder, things like that. And I think we should generally still try to follow those moral laws. The second category is like rituals, traditions, things like that. And the last category is civic laws because the Israelites weren't just God's people, they were also a nation. And so God gave them laws on how to run their nation. So with all that context, what did this first chunk mean for the Galatians? The false brothers were still living in the reality of the Old Testament. They see the law as the means for salvation, and they're persuading the Galatians to submit to the law if they truly want to be Christian. So, putting ourselves in the mind of the Galatians, reading this letter from Paul, 
it's absolutely contradictory to what the ways that they were being pulled by these false brothers. And I think this is the first observation I want to make from these few verses. We can already see that Paul is explaining that the Christian life is about a relationship with Jesus. The Christian life is about a relationship with Jesus. It's not about a list of rules or rituals. It's about a relationship with Jesus. But what does it mean to have a relationship with Jesus? How are we supposed to use that word relationship if Jesus was a person that walked on earth, but now is not here physically on earth anymore, and then there's the Holy Spirit and he's active? What does all this mean? To help explain, I want to use um, a real world example. So in August, uh, I proposed to my now fiance, Nikita. She's over there. You should meet her. Um, Yep. Thank you. Thank you. I did it. (laughs) Um, But so we dated a year and a half long distance and then we got engaged. And uh, in February, we're going to be married. Yes, I know. Exciting. If you've ever been around people that are planning a wedding, you know that there is a massive, massive list of things to do to get ready for the wedding, to make sure everything's planned and, and it goes well and all that. And so one of the things that we'll have to do sometime around February, we will have to go to a Texas courthouse and we'll have to declare like we are going to be legally married. We'll go get a marriage certificate. On its own, that piece of paper may be significant to the government, but it means absolutely nothing to Nikita or I. Thank you. Um, That piece of paper doesn't define our relationship. What defines our relationship is the way that we love each other, the way that we sacrifice for each other, the commitments that we make to each other. Basically, the things that make up our relationship define our relationship, not the piece of paper that gives us the label married. What Paul is saying is the law, like a marriage license, was useful. Absolutely. But now that Christ has come, he is calling you into a relationship. And you are still more interested in the piece of paper. If you accept the law, Christ will be of no advantage to you. If you accept the idea that of the system of earning our salvation, trying to clean up ourselves through the works of the law, Christ will be of no advantage to you. And he will be of no advantage to you because Jesus is not something we can earn. It's a relationship. What do I mean by relationship? How do I have a relationship with Jesus? I think it may seem abstract, but I don't don't think it has to be. The way I maintain a relationship with Jesus is the same way I maintain a relationship with a friend or even Nikita. I spend time with him every day by reading his word and through prayer. I make an effort to know things about him and go to him with my problems and struggles. As I learn more about him and his heart, I also let him more and more into of my heart. And so my heart starts to become aligned with his. All this is only possible through the Holy Spirit, which Paul talks about in verse 5. We receive the Spirit while we are still imperfect. 
and he works in us as we become more like Christ. I don't know if you caught the announcement, but Renovate this week is about the Holy Spirit. Would love to see you guys all there. This is more of just a 30,000 foot view, but I think there's a lot to unpack. So we maintain a relationship with him that we didn't earn because circumcision or uncircumcision doesn't mean anything. He's after our hearts and a relationship with us. Jesus isn't something we can earn. It's a relationship. Let's move on to verses 7 through 12. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord. You will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. After reading that, you can tell Paul is pretty fired up. Uh, I think we see Paul more expressive in his writing to the Galatians than to any other church he wrote to. And here's why I think that is. Jesus is more important, is the most important thing. And the Galatians are in the middle of diminishing Jesus and how central he is to Christianity and to our beliefs and their beliefs. Jesus was the Son of God, the Father, who stepped off his throne in heaven. I'm not sure if you've ever heard the phrase, the creator became the created, but Jesus chose to become human and live a human life on earth with all the pain, all the sorrow, all the temptation that we experience every day. And yet, in the midst of all that brokenness, because he was God, He lived a perfect life and died a perfect death and three days later rose from the grave. He was crucified by his own creation, by us. And yet his death purchased for us an opportunity for a relationship with God again. The moment we add to that, we take away from how beautiful that reality is. That's why Paul gets so fired up. You can't write a better story. We were made by God, in the image of God. We chose to do life apart from him. And he loved us enough to see how awful that life that we chose without him would be. And so he sent his son to die for us so that we could be in relationship with him again. What we see from these middle verses is that the Christian life is about a relationship that is 100% defined by Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. The Christian life is about a relationship defined by Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Paul sees the path of diminishing Jesus that the Galatians were taking and wants to make sure they correct course. Our job from these verses is to examine our hearts and make sure we're not following the same path that the Galatians were on. This is where it gets tricky, though, and here's an illustration. This is a rhetorical question. How confident are you that you're going to heaven? I think some of you are in this room and 
you maybe are here for the first time or here for the first time in a long time and you're really wrestling. I don't even know if there is a heaven. I'm still trying to figure that out. I think that's great. I think that you are supposed to be here and I'm really glad you're here because I think the church needs more people who are really wrestling with what eternity means. So that's one camp. I think others may say 100%, but I, if I had to guess, I would guess there's a large amount of people that would say 75%. I'm 75% confident I'm going to heaven or maybe even 95%. But why not 100? Well, you might say, because I could be doing better. But do you see what just happened? What you, Really, what you're saying there is, I think I can add to my salvation with good works. And this is what Paul is trying to correct. The beauty of the gospel is that we cannot earn it at all. Verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. When we add even a little bit to the gospel, Paul says we may as well throw the whole thing out because it's no longer the gospel. If you look up a verse in verse 8, Paul uses the word persuasion. If you mark up your Bible, I would definitely encourage you to underline that word. This persuasion is not from him who calls you. The reality of this idea of trying to earn it, trying to do enough good to earn our salvation, is sneaky. And I think that's why Paul uses the word persuasion. Because it's sneaky and because it makes sense. Every other religion, every other world system is telling you, here's the list. Do these things. If you do enough good, if you tip the scale, then X. And that's why it's so sneaky. This persuasion. I need to check my heart. I need to search my heart every day. Where am I trying to earn my salvation. Because the world is constantly pulling me in the direction of the earn mentality. And the reality of the gospel is I cannot earn it. Even as I was prepping this sermon and now preaching, or even in other aspects of my life, I need to be constantly reminding myself that my salvation is not tied to how good of a job I do or how good of a sermon I preached. It's actually the exact opposite. My intimacy with God, the richness of my walk, the closest of my walk with God, that will produce things that he is pleased with, meanwhile adding nothing to my salvation. But I get it, and this is why I want to highlight persuasion. Because we are in a world that is telling us there's nothing that we can get without earning it. Right? Like the buzzwords of the business world are hustle and grind. And it's, there's a reason why work-life balance is such an issue. Because we are just enslaved to this earn mentality. The Christian life is about a relationship that is 100% defined by Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. That's important because that's not something I could have ever earned. We're enslaved to this earning mentality. But what do we do? I think our last verses have the answer. Picking up in verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another... 
watch out that you are not consumed by one another. If we begin to understand Christianity like this, a relationship with Jesus, instead of a, a hobby or a list of do's and don'ts, it becomes incredibly freeing. For you were called to freedom, brothers. I no longer need to worry about if I've righted the scale. I could never right the scale. My good deeds are filthy rags when it comes to earning my salvation. And so that massive weight has been taken off my shoulders. But how do I respond to this freedom that we're called to? What does this freedom mean? I think most of us would think when we hear the word freedom, no strings attached, I can do whatever I want. Um, but I think there's something more, and I want to illustrate that with another look into my life. So I want to take you back to 2020. COVID is just starting. We were actually on the Belize mission trip when COVID hit. And so we're coming back and classes were getting shut, uh, getting canceled. School's getting shut down. And so didn't really know what was going to happen. Packed up my things, drove home to Minnesota, the 14-hour drive. And on that drive, I was thinking to myself, man, this is going to be pretty nice. I, uh, I was just like so exhausted with all the things to do in life. And I was thinking, man, if I could just get a couple days where nothing's going on, I'll feel better. I'll be able to hit life at full stride again. And so got home. Literally everything was closed. Everyone else was at their homes. We weren't hanging out. And so there's nothing going on. And what did I do with that freedom? I lived for myself completely. I did nothing productive. I slept in, I watched Netflix for eight hours, probably more. Uh, guys, it was bad. But how did I feel even after like the first two weeks of quarantine, after doing that? Man, I was impatient. I was exhausted despite having nothing going on. I was irritable and I was shallow and felt completely empty. This kind of freedom isn't what Christ desires for us. It, it can't be what Christ desires for us. And I think that leads into the final observation from the verses. The Christian life is about a relationship we must respond to with our actions. The Christian life is about a relationship we must respond to with our actions. What Christ desires for us is a freedom that doesn't make sense from a worldly definition. And it doesn't make sense to the world because it's not really freedom. It's purpose through action. The sentence after calling us to freedom, Paul calls us to action. He is encouraging us to shed the chains of the law, of the world, and to die to the opportunities of the flesh. And instead, with this freedom, use it as a means for love and for service. I think so often we're tempted to see God as our get-out-of-jail-free card. I mean, even going back to my freshman year story, how crazy was I to think that if I just checked the boxes of church, I could appease, hold at bay the God of the universe, and he would let me do what I wanted with the rest of my life. The reality is that God calls us to give everything. We're going to put a verse on the screen. This is Luke 9, 23 and 24. This is Jesus talking. And he said to all, 
If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What Jesus is calling us to, and has always been calling us to, and what Paul is reminding us of, is that we are to give everything. We are to model Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Paul says in verse 14, we are to love our neighbors as ourselves, and in doing so, we fulfill the whole law as Christ did on the cross. How did Christ fulfill the law? He was beaten, he picked up his cross, he was crucified, and he died. And that's what we're called to do in different ways. We're to die to our self-interests. We're to die to our social comfortability. We're to die to our status, to our labels. We're to die to the flesh, the pleasures of the world that in the moment may feel good, but end up feeling so fleeting and empty. We're to die to these things and instead love others and serve others. So how do we do that? I'm glad you asked. I think real practically, when we become Christians, what we're saying is, Jesus, you are Lord. And then the rest of the life, the rest of the Christian life is trying to figure out, how do I make Jesus the Lord of this area or this area? So how do I make Jesus the Lord of my relationships? Or how do I make Jesus the Lord of my school? Or of my free time? Of my friendships? And when God becomes the Lord of those specific areas of my life, I end up loving and serving people through those areas of my life like God does. Because I can't help but have the Holy Spirit ooze out of me when God becomes the Lord of those areas. We have to spend time in his word, time in prayer, intimacy with him to even know what he, his heart and his desire are for those areas of my life. And then we go and do those things. Out of a love for God, out of a rebe- uh, response for the gift of Jesus, we respond with obedience. The Christian life is about a relationship we must respond to with our actions. Okay. We spent some time in the verses and have worked to define what a relationship with Jesus means and how we respond. But I wanted to end on two practical encouragements that we can all walk out of here with. We see out of this passage that the Christian walk is not done alone. And a healthy Christian life involves community. So the first thing I want to encourage you with is to be fully known in Christian community. To be fully known means to find people that love you the way Christ loves you and tell them everything. I have five guys in my life that I tell everything to because I believe to be 99% known is to be unknown. And I also know that I'm not strong enough to just be the only one fighting for me. And so, when I sin, I go to these guys and I tell them everything. 
even the percent to the 1% that I don't want anyone to know. And they respond by asking me questions that I pray no one ever asks me. Because they see how important it is that I don't dwell in the darkness. And they want to help me drag my sin into the light. When I confess my sin to those guys, what I'm saying is I believe in the power of Christ. I believe that he has purchased a relationship with me with him again. And those guys, when I confess, respond and show me that love of Christ. We're designed to be in these types of relationships. This is how we don't bite and devour each other. Instead, we love each other enough to help each other focus on what's most important, Jesus. So, I want to leave you with two questions. One, am I fully known? And two, is there something that I need to drag into the light? This other encouragement comes from the desire to make God the Lord of every part of my life. What I want to encourage you with is to get in the game of serving. When Paul says to serve one another, he doesn't just mean holding the door for someone or offering someone your leftovers from dinner that you were probably not going to eat anyways. Paul is calling us to service that is costly, not just minor inconveniences throughout our day. What would it look like to spend your Saturday mornings volunteering at a refugee center, loving people like Christ loves? Or even smaller things, like offering to designate drive every time your friend group goes out on Friday nights, or always offering to spend time on the phone with that one friend who wants to wrestle with their relationship struggles. But the Christian life is not just calling you to do those things. It's calling you to have the heart to do those things. If I DD every Friday night, and if I always listen to that friend with their relationship struggles, but in the moment or even after, I'm annoyed, I have a bad attitude, I'm judgmental, I'm not in line with what Christ is calling me to. To love and walk closely with Christ is to want to serve, want to sacrifice. I want to get in the game of serving, and I want to make sure my heart behind that is the heart for Christ. So two questions. What's one way I can serve this week? And what's my heart behind the way I serve now? Here's what I hope you're walking away with. The Christian life is about a relationship with Jesus. It's about a relationship that is defined by his life, death, and resurrection. And it's about a relationship that I can't help but respond to out of a love and obedience for this perfect gift from God with my actions. We're about to head back into worship, and we're going to sing a song called Christ Be Magnified. I just want to read some of the lyrics. Oh, Christ be magnified. Let his praise arise. Christ be magnified in me. Oh, Christ be magnified from the altar of my life. 
Christ be magnified in me. As we sing that song, I would encourage you to not just read the lyrics on the back screen, but instead make it a prayer that Christ would be magnified in every part of your life. Let me pray. God, thank you for your son, this perfect gift. God, thank you for the way that it affects every part of my life. God, I pray that you in this time would just continue to pierce my heart and the heart of everyone in this room and out of it would just flow an affection, a love for you, God. I pray that we would just leave here desiring to know you more, desiring to let you know more of our hearts, God, and I pray that we would just desire to serve as you serve. We love you. Amen.